My message this morning I titled, From Rejection to Commander. There's a man that went from being rejected to being the commander, commander of his people. And I'll go ahead and just begin with a question. If I'd ask the question, does, do you know who Jephthah is? Do you know who Jephthah is? Okay. And that's, that's probably what I would have been shaking my head no too. I would have. I really would have. But as I was reading through Judges, this just, I just like this story. God just, you know, was, as I said, was speaking to me as I was reading, and I'm making all kinds of notes. I'm like, future sermons, future sermons as I'm reading. And, but this one just jumped out, and I might even have another one from Judges. So let's begin, uh, let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father, again, we do praise you and magnify you, for you are worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise and adoration, for you are God, and there is none like you. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who was a demonstration of your amazing love, that you allowed him to come and suffer on our behalf. We thank you, Father, for that. Father, we thank you. And as we near the Easter season, we, we, we remember. But, Father, we need to remember every day. Remember every day that it is because of the righteousness of Christ, because of his willingness to suffer on our behalf, that we can have hope, that we can have life. Father, we just thank you and praise you for that. Thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is with us and is here even now. And may your Spirit guide and direct us, Father. May every word spoken be, Lord God, from your throne room. May every word spoken bring peace to that heart that is troubled. May it bring life where there's death. Father, may it bring peace where there is no peace. May it bring hope, Father, for your glory, for your glory, Lord. And we ask all this. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Judges chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but, that one little word, he was a mighty man of valor, but, it's kind of like but, he had this against him, if you know what I mean. But, he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wives bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men band together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. And it came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the, from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me? and expel me from my father's house? So that kind of tells me his brothers are there. Because he said, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come now when you are in distress? Right. They needed him now, right? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again, again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon. 
and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me, that you have come to fight against me and my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt, from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok, and to the Jordan. Now therefore restore the land peaceably. Now there's more to that story, but I didn't want to get too long in the scripture. But I do know for certain that I have never preached from this passage of scripture. Because as I said, if you would have asked me a couple weeks ago, who's Jephthah? I'm like, mm, I don't know. I'll have to get my concordance out and figure it out. Because I know that I've read about it, but it just didn't, you know, didn't remember it. But I found this to be an amazing couple chapters of scripture. It's very interesting. It has a very interesting family story. But there's also a number of important lessons that we will learn from this passage, I hope. The Gileadites, they were a branch of the tribe of Manasseh. You know, you picture that family tree. And we know that you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Jacob had 12 sons. But So Abraham's down here. He's the trunk of that tree. And you got these branches going out. you got the 12 tribes. Then you branch off of that. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He is, the Gileadites are a branch, that's their branch out there. They're part of Manasseh, that's who they were. But if I was to describe this family, Jephthah's family, in today's language, how am I going to describe them? A blended family, right? Isn't that how we describe families today that, you know, have stepsisters and brothers or half brothers and sisters, and we call them a blended family. So they was a blended family. It is very clear from the passage of Scripture that Jephthah's father, had a relationship with a harlot. It is, however, not real clear whether he had this relationship with his harlot while he was married to his wife or before he was married to his wife. I guess it's really not uh, extremely important, but either way, we know that Jephthah was rejected by his, the sons of Gilead. They actually drove him away. And I believe in my heart it's all about the inheritance. Yeah. It's all about that inheritance. You're not going to have any part in the inheritance. You go away. You're the son of a harlot. Driven away, rejected by his own half-brothers because of something, my friends, that was completely out of his control. Could he have controlled who his mother was? It was completely out of his, his control. But yet, he had to deal with the disgrace of his father's indiscretions. He had to live with his father's actions, didn't he? You know, we don't know from the scripture if his father was still alive or maybe he was very old. We don't know. It doesn't really mention whether his father was alive at that time or not. If he was, you wonder, well, why didn't he prevent that from happening? You know, I know of a family. I know them. Actually related to them, their step uncles and aunts and cousins 
with a very similar situation. I'm kind of, I've got to stay still this morning. I can't be moving around because the cameras aren't moving. <laughs> so maybe I'll just move up and down. <laughs> Brian says, stay in your spot. I know of a family with a very similar situation that the wife, the mother in this case, there were four children. The mother in this case was unfaithful many years ago. Unfaithful to her husband, had an affair, and that affair resulted in a pregnancy. But the thing is, so there was one sister and three brothers. The thing is, the family didn't know. The husband didn't even know. For many, 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 many years, they all thought that this youngest son was the son of the father, the dad. They did not know that this son was the result of this extramarital affair. But not long before the death of the father, the family found out. Now the sister was okay, but the brothers treated that youngest brother with much disrespect. They kind of treated, treated him like Jephthah's brothers treated him. They didn't drive him away, but yet they didn't respect him. They, they treated him hatefully, treated him very harsh for something that was not his fault. Again, was it his fault? No. You know, when we learn of something like this or read about something like this, the rejection, you know, hopefully we sympathize with the ones that are treated harshly. Of course, some might even get angry with those that are doing the harsh treatment. But you know, this is something that's happened for years and years and years. Of course, we know it's happened in the Old Testament. The truth is that we can find many people in the Scriptures that were rejected by men, sometimes their own family, before they rose to the position that God had prepared for them. You know, think of Moses. Think of Moses. He was, he was loved by his mother and his family, yes. Loved so much, and his mother knew that he was so special that she, he placed him in that little basket with pitch on the outside and put him in the Nile. Pharaoh's own daughter drew him out of the water, took him, and raised him in the palace. But she did not hide his heritage from him. She told him he was a Hebrew. And he grew old. He wanted to go out and be amongst his brethren. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his brethren. He killed the Egyptian. We all know the story. The next day he goes out and he finds two Hebrews fighting. He's going to break this fight up also. And they're like, who made you ruler over us? Who made you ruler? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? He knew he had to flee. He was rejected by his own brethren. But look what God did with him. Sent him out into the wilderness, Midian, for 40 years. Then he came back and he was the deliverer through God's mighty power. Think of Joseph. We learned of Joseph just not long ago. Rejected by his ten brothers. Sold into slavery. But God prepared him for what he had in store, that he would save the people from a famine. David, David was rejected by Saul, who was his father-in-law. He became king. They eventually all became the great men that God had planned for them. Jephthah, you know, he's not as famous as Moses, as Joseph, but God still used him. God still used him to fulfill his plan, to do great things. 
Yes, the actions of his brothers were harsh, unloving. I mean, come on, he's a half-brother. But God used that situation, driving him away, the same as he did for the others, to prepare him to be the commander of the people. Because it said when Jephthah was driven away, what happened? It said worthless men band together with him. Well, studying the commentaries, these worthless, they call worthless men, they too found themselves in need, great need, whether they've lost their, their jobs or families, whatever, but they was in need. These men were trying to survive is what they were trying to do. It says worthless men band with him and they went out on raids. Now Matthew Henry states that these raids that they would go on a lot of times were just hunting. They would hunt wild beasts, trying to feed themselves. But they would go out on raids, but they would not go against the people of Israel. They went to the countries that Israel were actually entitled to, but had yet taken possession of. You follow me? These are areas that God had promised to Israel, but they hadn't yet went in to take possession of. That's where they would go out and do these raids. They would go in and rob them, take you know, their food, whatever, to help sustain themselves. The raids were so successful that they become well-known in Israel. Hey, these guys, look what Jephthah's doing. Man, he's, he's you know, wiping out this town and raiding them. What a leader he is. What a commander he is, right? They were very successful. So he went from a nobody being pushed out to somebody. Somebody we need, right? From a zero to a hero. I found a story of a somebody that was kind of a nobody that became a very famous person. Some of you are going to know when I read this name. Harlan David Sanders was born on September the 9th, 1890 in Henryville, Indiana. And after his father died when he was only six years old, Harlan became responsible for feeding and taking care of his younger brother and sister. Now that's a young age to get started, taking care of your younger siblings. So beginning at an early age, he held down numerous jobs, farming, a streetcar conductor, a railroad fireman, an insurance salesman. And at age 40, Harlan was running a service station in Kentucky, where he would also feed hungry travelers. Harlan eventually moved his operation to a restaurant across the street and featured a fried chicken that was so notable that he was named a Kentucky Colonel in 1935 by Governor Rudolph Lafoon. Does any of you young kids know who I'm talking about yet? A Kentucky Colonel? Okay, eventually Harlan Sanders focused on his franchising his fried chicken business around the country collecting a payment for each and every chicken that is sold. <laughs> so that's pretty amazing, right? The company went on to become one of the world's largest fast food chicken or fried chicken restaurant chains. Colonel Sanders died in Louisville, Kentucky on December 16, 1980. Very famous man. Everyone knows who Colonel Sanders is, but you may not have known who Harlan David Sanders was, right? Kentucky Fried Chicken, we all know. We all know. He was an honorary colonel, wasn't he? He was that famous in Kentucky. Jephthah, my friends, though, 
was a true commander, commander of an army. You know, the entire book of Judges reveals some amazing stories of the lives and the people that God used. God used to judge Israel. You know, the, they would judge <clears throat> among the people. People would bring their concerns to them. They were the leader. They weren't a king, but yet they were the ones that they knew they could go to. They would lead the armies. You know, Israel tended to keep going through this cycle, this same old cycle. They would turn their backs on God. They would begin to follow after the Baals and Astoris, the false gods of their neighbors, which would result in God bringing another nation down against them, sometimes carrying them away captive. But again and again, this, this cycle, they just kept going over and over and over. At the time of Jephthah, Gideon had passed away. Gideon's son, Abimelech, he reigned for a short period, but he was unfaithful to God. You know, when you read through the Old Testament, it's almost like from, you know, it's rare that you find two generations that were faithful to God. Eli, the priest, faithful man of God, but yet his sons sinned against God. That's why Samuel came in. So one generation to the next, we often see that they'll fall away and they'll turn from God. They just kept going through this cycle. So at this time, they found themselves without a judge. Gideon had passed away. They had no leader, true leader for their army. They were in need. The people of Ammon were coming against them. They were desperate. They needed somebody to lead that army into battle. Somebody that was courageous. Somebody that was not afraid. Every army needs that, right? Imagine. That's hard to imagine, actually that among all the people of Israel, they couldn't find one to lead them. They couldn't. Who's going to lead us? In Judges 10, 15 through 18, it says, And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. My friends... They repented. I'm going to pause there. They repented, didn't they? They say, we have sinned. But when we realize that we have sinned, friends, it must cause an action on our part. For them, they put away the foreign gods. That's what we have to do. We have to put away those things that are causing us to sin against God. Put them away. Get rid of them. Burn them. I don't care what you do with them. Get rid of it. Anything that's causing you to sin against God... Get rid of it out of your life. So they put away their foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. You see, God is merciful. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Who is the man? They had an army, but they had no leader. They had no one qualified to be the leader. An army, my friends, without a leader is like a body without a head. It's not going anywhere. The head has the brains to think, to devise the plan of action. It has the eyes to see the opponent to know the course to take. It has a sense to know who among the ranks is fit for battle. 
The head is the brains of the operation. You know, not everyone, we all know this, not everyone is a leader. Not everyone is just cut out to be a leader. It takes one who is gifted with the knowledge of war. It takes one with the courage to use that knowledge. And it takes one that others will trust in enough to follow them into the battle. My friends, every army needs a trustworthy leader. Every nation needs trustworthy, qualified leaders. And I'm going to shock you. I'm not going any further with that. No, every nation does. Every nation needs trustworthy, qualified leaders. Every business needs good leaders. Every church needs good and faithful leaders. My friends, let's bring it down. Every home needs good leaders. You receive that today? Every home needs good leaders, good and faithful leaders. And you might be thinking, well, the leader in the home doesn't bear near the responsibility of the leader of a great army. Well, I'm going to suggest this to you. If every home in Israel's day, in that day, in Jephthah's day, would have had a good leader in the home, they wouldn't have needed a leader for the army. Because every leader in that home would have said, we are going to worship the one true God. We're not going to follow the gods of our neighbors. We're going to worship God. And God would have protected them from their enemies. So my friends, do you see how important it is that every home has that good leader? Don't worry about the armies. Don't worry about what's going on here. Worry about your home the leader in your home, doing what is right, the great and awesome responsibility that we have to follow the one true God, to have that relationship with Him. Israel said, who is the man that will lead us? Jephthah was that man. He was the man that Israel needed. Those that rejected him had to go. How humbling that would have been for his brothers, right? Aren't you the one that hated me? It drove me away, and now here you are. You need me. You want me, right? You know, he may not have been as well known as some of the great patriarchs of old, but he was faithful. His leadership actually earned him a mention in the Hall of Fame of Faith that we find in Hebrews. Hebrews 11, 32 and 34, through 34. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in, valiant in battle. I have a hard time with that word. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Jephthah's name there. Why? Because he was faithful. Subdued kingdoms. He earned mention, the Hall of Fame. He was an honorable man. He was a man who could be trusted. He used diplomacy before he went to battle. He tried to speak with the king of Ammon. He said, why do you do this? He wanted to avoid shedding blood. But the king of Ammon would not listen. He would not listen. In Judges 11, 19 through 24, it says, And Israel sent messengers to 
Sahan, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land. So he's given them a history lesson. Please let us pass through your land into our place. But Shahan did not trust Israel to pass through their, his territory. So Shahan gathered all his people together and camped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sahan and all his people into the hand of Israel. And they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabuk and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites. So who dispossessed them? God did. He dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will not you, uh, yeah, shall you then possess it? Will not, yeah, will you not possess? I'm going to have a hard time here. My words are getting, will you not possess whatever Shamas, your God, gives to you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. So he says, okay, you go ahead and possess whatever your God Shaman gives to you. We are going to possess what our God gives to us. What a word. Go ahead, trust in your God. You just possess whatever he's going to give you, but we're going to trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He offered them that peaceful alternative, but he rejected it. The scripture tells us that the spirit, I didn't read that, but it's further on in Judges, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead as he advanced toward the people of Ammon. It says, the Spirit of the Lord. He knew that the Spirit of God was upon him, was with him. He already had proven himself as a man of valor. He already proved himself as a man of great courage. But Jephthah did something that really puzzles me. And I'll read it to you. You're going to say, yeah, I can see why. It's very puzzling. He made a vow to God. And it's found in chapter 11, verses 30 through 31. I'm not sure if I have that on the screen or not. Chapter 11, verses 30 through 31. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then, I, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. A vow, as used here, means to promise, to positively do or give something to God. That's what it means. So when he vowed that, he's like, I promise you, this is what I'm going to do. We can look in 1 Samuel and read the story where Hannah, Hannah was barren. But she goes to the temple and she's praying. And she's just pouring her heart out to God. And, and Eli thought she was drunk. But she's praying. She just she wants a child. She wants a son so bad. She made a vow to God. If you will open my womb, give me a child. He will be yours. Once he is weaned, I will bring him. He will live at the temple. He'll stay right here. She carried through with her vow. She gave him what she promised. Could you imagine waiting for that son so long and then once you get him weaned, here he is, yours to keep. 
She'll go visit once in a while. But that's how important it was to have a son in those days, to carry on the family name. The first thing that comes to my mind though, when I read this vow that Jephthah made, it was so unnecessary. It was. Read that whole story. Go to Judges 10, 11, 12. Read it. It was unnecessary. He was already a man of great courage. The Spirit of God was already upon him. But what does it reveal to us? He's still human. Isn't that what it says? That's what it says to me. He's still human. Still had the tendency to doubt. Still had that tendency to lack faith. Still had the tendency to question his own abilities. Question his own courage. Friends, what is courage? It's the ability to do something that frightens you. Scares the... Scares me like crazy, but I'm still going to do it. Right? That's what courage is. It's strength in the face of pain. It's strength in the face of grief. And faith. We know what faith is. It's having complete trust and confidence in someone or something. Ours is in God. You know, one way to understand courage and faith is to look at the opposite. Right? The opposite of courage is fear. Fear. Doing nothing. Fear, fear debilitates us, right? It robs us of what God might have in store for us. Because Joshua 1.6 says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Jephthah knew that, but yet, he made that vow. Helen Keller once said, Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold. The fearful are caught as often as those that are courageous. The opposite of faith we know is doubt, unbelief. But James 1, 3 through 8 tells us that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, my friends, when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now I know that I have shared this story before, but as I was reading it and preparing this, I just again thought of my grandpap. My grandpap Shiflet. I always just called him grandpap, but to identify him, grandpap Shiflet, a faithful, wonderful man of God. He loved the Lord. When we go and visit, I mean, he lived in, used to be Glen Burnie, then Delaware. When we go visit, he talked about the Lord. He read his Bible faithfully. He loved the Lord. He, he was a recovering alcoholic from the time he was like in his 40s, but he, he lived to be like 90. Recovering alcoholic. And he helped so many people. He helped so many people find their way. I mean, I hope I could help half as many people as my grandpa did. Such a loving and generous and giving man. And as I said, a man of faith and love the Lord. 
But in his last days, as he was dying from cancer, we were there visiting. And he had doubts. He had doubts. He was unsure. And I shared some scriptures with him. And he's like, oh, those are so wonderful. And I, you know, you don't know what cancer played in that role of causing him to have doubt. It may have. But I know that he was good. He just needed to know that he was good with the Lord. He just needed those verses to reassure him. So that's not really the kind of doubt I'm talking about. I better get back to Jephthah, right? An unnecessary vow. A promise. Upon returning victorious from battle, you may have read this story. You know what the very first thing was to come out of his house? His daughter. His young daughter. His teenage daughter. Could you imagine? His heart sank. It had to have. His heart sank to the ground because he knew that he made a vow to God. The first thing that comes out of that house, I'm going to sacrifice to you as a burnt offering. He was a man of his word. His daughter said to her father, If you have given your word to the Lord, do according to me as what has come out of your mouth. Let it be as you have spoken. She said, But I have one request. Let me go and bewail my virginity for two months with my friends. And then he fulfilled his promise, his vow. Ecclesiastes 5, 5 and 6 says, Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? It's better not to vow. We know another one in Matthew 5, 34 through 37. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. That's it, friends. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Don't make a vow. Don't make a promise that you might regret keeping. Just speak the truth and be trustworthy. <clears throat> I want to return to the idea of rejection. You know, many people are rejected by their families. Many people are rejected by their peers, rejected by their neighbors, rejected because they're different. They're not like you. They're not like everybody else. But many times it's something that's completely out of their control. I can't control who, uh, who my parents are. I can't control what color I am. I can't control, I can control how big I am maybe. You know, I can go on a diet. But there's so many things that's out of our control. But why do we reject people? You know, I want to share a little story that it's just one of the a tiny little moments that God really spoke to me while we was in Florida. I, was, I went by myself in the truck one evening. I think I was going down, back down to get some parts to fix my wiring problem that I had. And as I was going down the road, St. Lucie Boulevard, that takes us right down to Fort Pierce, and I, as I was coming to a stoplight, there was a young man. He had two dogs, pretty good-sized dogs, and he, he come to the, the corner, and he had to wait for the traffic. Well, these dogs start going this way and that way, going around him. Well, he wore his pants, you know, down about halfway. You know, uh, come on now. We all know we've seen those guys that wear their pants down here, 
and we've probably all said something like, pull your pants up, or you need a belt, or, you know, we've said probably some things we shouldn't have. But this young man, these dogs start running around, and that's pulling his pants down. So he's standing there, he's trying to get the ropes, and he's trying to get his pants up, and it was quite comical. It really was. I mean, I, I laughed. I had my window down, but I motioned for him to come across the street. Once he got his dogs in the line, and he comes across in front of me, and that young man looked to me, and he thanked me. Thank you. But when I looked at him, I seen such kindness in his eyes and a smile. I mean, he had a beautiful smile. He did. But he went across the road, and then he had to go across four lanes to get the other side. And he's running across... He's running across there trying to pull his pants up and hold his dogs. I'm still laughing. But my friends, God said this to me. Love him. Love him. When you see that guy with his pants down to here, just love him. Just love him. Don't reject them. My friends, God didn't reject him because God said, that's, a, that's my son. I don't care where his pants are. I don't. I mean, I used to say some things too. You know, I might holler out the window, pull your pants up. But God says, love them. So God was working in me the way he works in all of us. When you see that one that is different, love him. Because my friends, he loves you. And as they were saying this morning in the van, we're peculiar people. Right? Some of us can say, well, if he loves me, he can love anybody. But friends, we're called to love. We're called to love our brothers and our sisters. I don't care who their parents are. I don't care if they're the son of a harlot. You love them because God loves them. I don't care what color they are. You love them because God loved them. I don't care how smart or how unintelligent they are. You love them. We, I shouldn't say you, we are to love them. We are to love them with the love of God. And we know how great the love of God is. You know, when God says, I sent my son into the world to die, that all who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't say that the Israelites will not perish and have everlasting life. He didn't say that people of white skin will have everlasting life or people of black skin will have everlasting life or the people that are very intelligent will have everlasting life. But he said, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in the Son of God shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message that we have as his people. And the message we have is to love those that the world rejects. So that's the, I hope if you get one thing today, is that we need to love and not reject those that are different than us. They don't have to be just like us because, my friends, God still loves them. God still loves them, and we are to love them. Amen?